Welcome back to Zion's Redemption Radio Network. Today we're going to be reading Chapter 17 of Mysteries of Creation, pages 160 to 168. The title of the chapter is called Creating Mortal Man. I'll dedicate the program and we'll get right into the reading. O God, the Eternal Father, we come to Thee in the name of Thy Son, Jesus Christ. We ask Thee, Father, to forgive us of our sins and our transgressions, that we might have Thy Spirit to be with us more fully as we cover these topics of the mysteries of creation and the creation of mortal man upon this earth. We thank thee, Father, for the knowledge that thou hast given to us through the prophets. We thank thee, Father, for the plan of salvation and for the willingness of thy Son, Jesus Christ, to come down upon this earth into mortality to show us the way in which we should live, to be our guide and our teacher in the way that we should be. We thank the Father for his willingness to take upon himself the sins and the transgressions of the world in the Garden of Gethsemane, and then to seal that with his blood upon the cross, to sprinkle his blood on the mercy seat for our sacrifice, that we might come back into thy presence, that though we were stained like the dirtiest of bloody rags, that you have made us white and pure as living snow. We thank thee, Father, for his example for us. We ask thee to help us to walk the path that that thou would have us walk, to come back into thy presence. We ask thee, Father, that we might be tools in thine hand to bring forth Zion's redemption, to assist in the gathering of Israel, and to do the things that we were foreordained to do upon this earth. We thank thee, Father, for our families, for our friends, for the blessings that thou hast given unto us to give us the comfort that we have in this world that we might be able to serve thee more fully. We thank thee, Father, for all of our many blessings, for we know that all things come from thee, that all blessings come from thee, and that even those things which are hard for us to bear that sometimes that we can learn through the trials and tribulations of life 
that we might gain experience to gain a higher resurrection. We love thee, Father, and we ask for thy blessings to be upon us as we dedicate this time unto thee to studying the topics of the mysteries of creation. And we ask for thy blessings to be with us in the name of thy beloved Son, even Jesus Christ. Amen. Creating Mortal Man, Chapter 17 of Mysteries of Creation, pages 160 to 168. The variety of theories. There are various organizations throughout the world who have delved with particular interest, enthusiasm, and enthusiasm into... Hold on, let me turn this down a little bit. Oh. (laughs) Okay, here we go. Who have delved with particular interest and enthusiasm into the various theories of creation. Two of these are called Creation Research Society and Bible Science Association. Henry M. Morris, president of the former, has some interesting views on the mysteries, the mystery of man's creation. Quote, his creative acts consisted of calling the physical universe into existence. So he's talking about God. He called the physical universe into existence, of calling animal life into existence, and of calling human life into his own image, in, into existence. The reason why he took six days instead of only the twinkling of an eye to do this was in order for his work work week of six days to serve as a platform for man's work week of six days. Real creation obviously requires creation with an appearance of age. Thus, Adam was made as a full-grown man. And that, it, that comes from Evolution and the Modern Christian, pages 58, 650, and 62. So according to Morris, Adam was the only man who, ever, who never had a boyhood, and genealogically speaking, he never had a father either. Hopefully this chapter will shed a little more light on the subject so more accurate conclusions can be drawn. Okay, so these individuals who come up with these ideas uh, to try to explain evolution and theories and and the creation, um, they are doing so by the evidence that they have in the scriptures alone. It's called solo scriptura. Um. And maybe it's even going a little bit beyond that because uh, they're trying to figure it out. Um, well, let me just say what I know. Oh, and I've talked about this in the past episodes. And, you know, this is like I've gone, I've actually done over a thousand podcasts since 2014, since I started doing my own podcasts and before that I was on an internet radio show um, which is no longer uh, around 
But here's the deal. So long before I ever got into teaching on these podcasts, um, I would ask God many questions as I studied the scriptures. And I learned that that no scripture is for private interpretation and that the the correct interpretation of any scripture belongs to God. The correct mysteries of God, they belong to God, and he gives them out as he sees fit. And for a long time, I asked God what it, where he was before the Big Bang happened. Because, you know, back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, when I was in school, they taught Big Bang as fact, even though they called it a theory, but they taught it as fact. And so that's what I believed um, before my conversion uh, to to restoration theology. And I kept asking God, where was he before the Big Bang? Was he just in the void of nothingness? And then one day he decided to bring all things into creation, as so many Christians believe. And as I asked these questions... I would study the scriptures and I I asked many other questions as well. But eventually one day as I was asking this question for who knows how many times I'd asked it in prayer, I was taken up in the spirit and I stood next to the father and he showed, and we went to this place and I saw this vast, um, cloud of light in space, like, uh, some kind of nebulous cloud or something. I don't even know what you would call it. And we stood afar off from it and we came down into the cloud itself. And I saw that the cloud out in space was made up of these orbs of light. And I was taught by the father himself that this is the intelligence. And he told me to look at one particular intelligence that he pointed to. And I looked and I saw it, a flash of light. And what was one orb of light became two orbs of light. And he explained to me that when the intelligence becomes self-aware, the feminine and the masculine energies separate and you have a male and a female spirit. And the more aware that the the intelligence is determines whether this male and this female spirit will become a human or whether they will become an animal spirit or a plant spirit. But that the most... The one that I was watching was actually God the Eternal Father and God the Eternal Mother, who we would call Adam Amen and Hava Amen. And that I was shown that in the process of time that the the spirit learned how to, uh, learned what the elements were. And I was taught that the elements are eternal, that energy is eternal, and that that matter is eternal. And that 
the laws of the universe are eternal. And that in the process of time, the spirits that were, that became self-aware, they, including the father and the mother, they learned how to control and manipulate the elements. And in the process of time, they created the bodies that we have now. That, that they learned to organize a chaotic universe to fit their needs, to grow and to become exalted beings who have learned throughout the eternities the correct science, uh, method of science and the laws of the universe. And that we are all like they are. The greater intelligence that was more self-aware, we are they who become the humans. The children of God, or of Elohim, or of the eternal. And we have the ability to become like they are. We're in an infant state of being or a childhood state of being when we first come into mortality in our spirits and uh, in the flesh. However, as we gain more intelligence, we gain higher levels of resurrection. And I've also been taught that we also live one eternal round on each earth that we live on. So... What I mean by that is that um, when John in the book of Revelation, he sees this earth become a great sea of glass, a great Urim and Thummim, a great crystal ball, and this earth will become celestialized. And he saw that there was a new heaven and a new earth created. And what I was shown, what I have been shown is that this earth is the new heaven. It, it joins in with what is called the Shamaim in the Hebrew tongue. It, it means heavens. This earth becomes a heaven, a celestial orb, and that there will be a new earth created where the process of growth will continue for those who have not yet been exalted so what i was shown back i don't know maybe 14 15 years ago and it's 2023 right now so this would be like i don't know i i actually think it was around 2011 2010 that i was shown this particular thing but what i was shown was well i was taught and then i was shown that when we become resurrected beings, we are damned in a state of resurrection and we cannot progress unless we have already been exalted. That even those who qualify for the celestial kingdom, unless they're exalted, they're damned in a state of resurrection and cannot progress. But that the secret was that we have the opportunity, if we so choose, 
to put off the resurrection when the new earth is created and we have the opportunity to go up on another earth in another mortal probation that we might be put in the places and the circumstances in that mortal probation that we might learn and grow in the hopes of coming to a higher state of resurrection. And that this is what is called eternal lives or eternal progression. So it's not reincarnation where we come back upon the same earth multiple times. What I was shown is that when the new earth is created, we have the opportunity to go upon that earth and that there will be a new savior chosen for that earth. Uh, And this also has to do with the progression of the gods. So Jesus Christ becomes a savior of this earth alone. He pays for the sins and the transgressions of this earth alone. He becomes an exalted being because of what he went through on previous mortal probations, on previous earths, but he also, what he went through on this earth and his willingness and his sacrifice, he becomes an exalted being. And when he pays for our sins in the Garden of Gethsemane and seals that upon the cross, we who choose to follow him and take his name upon us become his children, even though we have a father above him and fathers and mothers, by the way, above him. And when the new earth is created, he will become the father of that world and take upon himself the name of God, the eternal father, and become an Adam for that earth. And we're going to talk about the the fact that there are many Adams. I think it's in the next chapter, chapter 18. But each earth has an Adam and the Adam of that earth always was a savior or a redeemer in the world before he came and became an Adam for an earth. So Michael is the Adam for this earth. In his last mortal probation upon an earth, he was a redeemer. He paid for the sins and the transgressions of that world that we lived upon. That world was the pre-existence of this world and that world has become a celestial sphere and joined in with the Shamaim. That is the pre-existence of this earth. On that world, we accepted him as our Lord and Savior and every knee bowed to him and every tongue confessed that he was the Christ the Messiah of that world. And he was brought here by his Adam, who was Jehovah our Elohim. And Jehovah our Elohim instructed Michael 
how to create this earth. And Michael is the one that did the work. He is God the creator or God the father of this world. We became his through the law of adoption in that we confessed his name and took his name upon us to become his children. The same way that we become the children of Jesus or Yeshua by taking upon him ourselves his name. We become the children of Jesus Christ through the law of adoption. And when Jesus Christ takes upon himself all that the Father has to give him, and he becomes an Adam for the next world, when he and his wife Eve have those mortal children and we all gain the different mortalities that we will gain in that world, we will become the sons and daughters of Jesus Christ, not just spiritually, but physically. It's first spiritual and then it's physical. And that without the revelations of God and Jesus Christ through the Holy, the gift of the Holy Spirit, through the visions and dreams uh, of prophets, but also having confirmation of the Holy Spirit that these things are true, you cannot know them. God has not closed his canons. He has not closed the heavens for revelation to be sent to the earth to give instruction and to even declare the mysteries of God. He is not packed up and left us wanting. But we have the opportunity to know truth by revelation and to hear the words of prophets, and I am one, that we might understand some of the mysteries that he chooses to give to us, that we might ponder these things and know of the truth of it by the confirmation of the Holy Spirit if we so choose to go down that route to understand these things. The role of a true prophet is to teach, to expound, and to correct. And also to warn and to instruct. And that that is what I do, what God has called me to do. I was foreordained to this work that I am doing right now. And that I have been foreordained to do a great many more things than this. But this is the beginning of my ministry is teaching and warning and expounding and instructing. Anyway, let's get back into the reading. Many different theories and ideas have been presented as to how mankind originated on this earth, such as, and we're on page 161 at 10%. 
Number one, he was scooped up like an adobe brick or a pile of dirt. Well, so that comes from like man is made of the dust of an earth. And that's that was given by Moses to the Israelites who would not be able to understand the progression of the gods uh, to to understand the the uh, extent of the uh, eternal lives. And so a lot of people will take literally the account of Bereshit or Genesis and they'll say that, that Adam was made of the dust of the earth and he was scooped up from the clay of the earth and molded and God breathed life into him. And <laughs> I know this is kind of a, maybe a grotesque image, but it just reminds me of the golem of Israel or of the orcs of, of J.R.R. Tolkien's books that they're created from the the dirt of the earth in some kind of method and they become living beings. And that's a grotesque way of putting how Adam became a human being. But that's how some people believe because they take Genesis literally. Anyway, the, the second topic or the sep- second point was he was built like a robot out of nothing. Number three, some people believe that he, the Adam or the beginning of human creation or the human animal, was that we all evolved from being a bug that was that crept out of the swamp and gradually grew gradually growing legs and arms and evolving into a man over the process of time, over the process of evolution throughout billions of years that life started as some kind of amoeba and that it continued to evolve until it became a living organism of of some substance within the oceans of this earth and eventually that those organisms became a fish-like creature and eventually that those organisms grew legs uh, and they were able to become land breathing, air breathing, land walking animals, and that over the process of billions of years, eventually one of the branches of the evolution of the that that fish type creature became uh, a primate. And that over the course of billions of years, that primate eventually became something like the Neanderthal. And that the Neanderthal eventually became something like the earliest humans. And that we continue to evolve until we become who we are today. That, that's, that's evolution th- theology, really. Um, theory that some people have. And then you've got uh, the fourth uh, point. We evolved from monkeys, as Darwin, Darwin's theories promote. Um, our schools teach something like this, and that was what I was taught as a child. And it's a theory, but they teach it as fact. See, these people don't get inspiration or revelation. 
they go upon their logic and they trust the intelligence of other men and women in the scientific field to come up with all these ideas and all these theories that they can't prove. And then they teach it to us as fact, as something alternative to what actually is truth about how we came into this world. That an Adam and an Eve were placed in the garden of, in a garden of Eden, and that they tended that garden, and that that God placed them there, and that they are the father and mother of all human beings who live upon this earth. And topic five is that he, Adam, was a spontaneous miracle at the command of God. And of course, there are also the stories of the stork and swallowing a watermelon seed, etc. I remember when I, I never heard the stork story. I mean, I did like through cartoons, like Disney had cartoons about that kind of thing, you know. But I remember my grandparents saying, don't swallow the watermelon seeds. That's how babies are born. <laughs> when I was a very small child and my grandparents did, uh, they raised me a lot growing up. And I just remember when I was a very small child, maybe about five or six, hearing that my grandparents joking, don't swallow the watermelon seed. Anyway, um, but in actuality, we know this. We know from the scriptures and revelation that God put mortal man on this earth, and this was done by immortal parents through the process of generation. Propagation and generation. In the previous chapter, information was presented showing how the flora and the fauna, or the plants and the animals, were transplanted to this earth. This procedure seemed reasonable and logical. However, the question of how God established his mortal children on this new earth creation, or this new creation of the earth, is still a great mystery to many. Fortunately, many of these questions have been clarified in LDS theology. To begin with, the statement that man was made from the dust of the earth is merely figurative. And that comes from Rational Theology by um, Witso, who I believe was a 70 apostle, but uh, that was on page 50 of his book, Rational Theology. And the story of the rib, of course, is figurative, and that comes from Enzyme, March of 1976, page 71. And Enzyme, for those of you who don't know, it's a church publication um, where they, they create these, uh, these magazines every month with messages and teachings um, of the prophets and the apostles from, from Restoration Theology, but also from the scriptures, whether that be the Old Testament, New Testament, or the Book of Mormon, or Modern Day Revelation. Um, Those things are shared within those publications called the Enzyme. In that particular uh, talk that was being talked about uh, came in March of 1976 on page 71 of the Enzyme. But figurative of what? Maybe they didn't really know. For Spencer W. Kimball admitted, we don't know exactly how their coming into this world happened, and we and we are able to, and when we are able to understand it, the Lord will tell us. 
and that was Enzyme, March of 1976, page 72. So it's basically in the same article that, that Spencer W. Kimball, who was one of the presidents of the church, he, he said that we don't know. But we did know. In the beginning of the Restoration, uh, we were taught through the prophets and the leaders of the church how these things happened. And just because Spencer W. Kimball doesn't know doesn't mean God hasn't revealed that to others of us. Because he has. See, God is no respecter of persons. And God wants all of his children to become prophets. And it doesn't matter who receives the revelation as long as the revelation is confirmed by the Holy Spirit. When somebody tells you something that they've learned, that's fine for them to tell you that. Now, that revelation may have come from God, it may have come from the devil, or it may come from the imagination of man, men and women. And if we hear these things, that if we choose, we can go to God, we can study it out for ourselves, and if we believe it, we can go to God and we can say, I believe that this is truth. And we can know the truth of all things by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the confirmation of the Holy Spirit, by the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which confirms the truth of all things. When people in the LDS uh, church talk about the the prophet's the only one who can receive revelation for the church, that is true in that he has a stewardship over the church to guide, to direct in the temporal and spiritual affairs of the church. But they do not have, um, they're not the only ones who can receive revelation. And let me just give an example of what I'm talking about. There was a man by the name of Nephi who we find in 3rd Nephi. He was the leader of the church for that time. But God had a revelation to give to the church and he used an unknown person who was a true prophet by the name of Samuel the Lamanite to deliver the message upon the walls of the city. And Nephi stood there and he heard as the leader of the church, this other prophet declaring the truths that God had for the people of that day and age. So God didn't go to Nephi to give a revelation about the specific thing. Even though Nephi was the leader and the head of that of the church of that time, they didn't even know where Samuel the Lamanite came from, and they didn't know where he went. But he was a true prophet of God. He delivered the message. God protected him from the slings and the arrows as they shot up, uh, shot at him upon the wall, and then he disappeared into history. And we wouldn't even know about him except for the fact that when Jesus Christ came to those people, he sat and he talked to Nephi and he said, why didn't you write about my servant Samuel the Lamanite? 
And he talked to the head of the church, who was Nephi, and he said, "Why didn't you write it? Why didn't you write about him?" Jesus Christ wanted his prophet Samuel the Lamanite to be recognized, and for the thing that happened to be recorded in the Scripture. And he had to chastise the head of the church in order for that to be written down. Now, Samuel the Lamanite did not have the ability to go and to usurp the stewardship of of Nephi. Nephi had the right and the authority given to him by God to lead the church in in the the temporal and the spiritual affairs on how they should act and where they should go and and those type of things. But God used another prophet to share the truth with the people. Much the same way I am doing in my foreordained calling today. I am not the president of the church. But I am an eyewitness of the Father and the Son. And I am a true prophet, seer, and revelator. Like Samuel the Lamanite that comes from outside the church to instruct in these things that God has given to me to share with you. And I do not require your sustaining. (laughs) I am doing what God has asked me to do. And you can take the information that I give and you can study it out for yourself and you can find out whether these things are true or whether these things are not true by the use of the Holy Spirit who teaches the truth of all things. I present this information to you and you do with it what you will. So we're on page 162 at 20%. And I'll continue reading. President Brigham Young stepped boldly into this arena and said, quote, and President Brigham Young was the second president. Actually, we say second, but like, wasn't Joseph a president and wasn't Hiram a president? I don't know. I just, I thought of that when I was like, oh wait, maybe he wasn't the second. But anyway, we'll simplify it. So Brigham Young was basically the second great leader of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints for for the restoration theology that God was giving upon the earth at the time. And uh, what he said was, when you tell me that Father Adam was made as we make adobes from the earth, you tell me what I deem to be an idle tell. When you tell me that the beast of the beasts of the field were produced in that manner, you are speaking idle words devoid of meaning. There is no such thing in all the eternities where the gods dwell. Mankind are here because they are the offspring of parents who were first brought here from another planet. 
and power was given them to propagate their species, and they were commanded to multiply and replenish the earth. That's Journal of Discourses, Volume 2, or Volume 7, sorry, Volume 7, page 285. So this is, Brigham Young lived from 1800 until 1877 when he passed away. So he was talking about these things back in the 1800s. The first people of the earth was no more made of the dust than we are. I would not make out that Moses lied by no means, but we are made of dust as much as Adam was. So are our cattle. They are formed or created from the elements, all of which are necessary to produce animal and vegetable life. As the dust of the earth will produce grass and cattle will eat grass and increase. And that comes from teachings of Brigham Young, volume 3, page 369, compiled by Fred Collier. But let's start at the beginning. According to Brigham Young, the first responsibility as a god is to have spirit children. Then power is given to create the elements to provide a mortal earth for these spirit children. After men have got their exaltations and their crowns and have become gods, even the sons of God or the Bene Elohim, and they are made king of kings of kings and lords of lords, they have the power then of propagating the species in spirit. And that is the first, the first of their operations with regard to organizing a world. Power then is given them to organize the elements. And by the way, we're on page 163. Now, I have to say something first. So a lot of people, they take what Brigham Young said and they, they like talk about celestial sex and how... Like, we're going to have all this celestial sex and we're going to create all these spirit babies. That is not how spirit spirits are created. As I have said, the intelligence becomes self-aware. The, the, the feminine and the masculine energies within the intelligence become two separate spirit beings. That is the birth of a spirit. In order for Adam to become the father of the children, he first must become a redeemer and we must be presented a plan of salvation and choose the savior of that world and we become the children of the redeemer or the savior of that world. And then when the savior of that world becomes an Adam, they will they will produce physical bodies for the children who have accepted them accepted them on pro, previous um, in previous probations or a previous probation that they will come upon the earth and they will gain the experiences that they need so that they can they can continue to grow and gain a higher level of resurrection and that this is how we all grow 
This is not the first earth that we have been on, and it will not be the last. This is eternal progression. This is what it means by eternal lives. Continuing on, and then three, commence the organization of tabernacles or bodies, basically. So that comes from Journal of Discourses, volume six, page 275. So first there needs to be vegetation and animal life to sustain these mortal children. Wouldn't God and man both use the same principles of generation in providing for their children? In the days before supermarkets, malls, convenience stores, if a young man and his wife decided to have a family, they needed a garden and some animals in order to sustain these children. So the young man simply bought some seed and seedlings to start a little garden near his house, and before long there was enough growth and vegetation to, fulfill, to fill the whole garden. He also brought or bought, I'm sorry, brought a few pairs of, of the animals and soon had an abundant supply of birds and animals. The same principle of generation applies in both mortality and immortality. Now, once a place is prepared on earth, Brigham Young explains how the mortal children get here. Quote, They, speaking of Adam and Eve, will go into the garden and continue to eat and drink of the fruits of the corporeal world until this grosser matter is diffused sufficiently through their celestial bodies to enable them, according to the established laws, to produce mortal tabernacles for their spiritual children. Journal of Discourses, Volume 6, page 275. Heber C. Kimball explained that the same being created both our spiritual and physical bodies. Quote, Now, brethren, you have got a spirit in you, and that spirit was created and organized and was born and begotten by our Father and our God before we ever took these bodies, and these bodies were formed by him and through him and of him, just as much as the spirit was. For I will tell you, he commenced and brought forth spirits, and then when com- when he completed that work, he commenced and brought forth tabernacles for those spirits to dwell in. And by the way, we're on page 164 at 45%. I came through him, both spirit and body. Journal of Discourses, Volume 6, page th- uh, 31. So basically what Heber C. Kimball and Br- Brigham Young are talking about is that Adam and Eve were exalted beings. That they came upon this earth. And, and the, he goes into more detail in Journal of Discourses, Volume 1, page 50 on, on this but that they were brought down upon this earth as celestial beings under the direction of Jehovah our Elohim. And that when they were placed in the garden, 
they partook of the fruit that had been planted in that garden. And as they partook of the fruit of of this world, they descended from an exalted resurrection, a celestial resurrection, and they descended until they became terrestrial. And they continued to partake of the fruit of this earth until blood infused their veins. So basically, a celestial being it has plasma or light flowing through their, their veins. And they're immortal, exalted beings. But they can, they can descend from a celestial level of resurrection by partaking of the fruit of a telestial world or a terrestrial world. And they partake of the fruit until blood is infused within their veins so that they can produce children. They can produce bodies through the process of sex and pregnancy to produce the physical child within the womb of Eve and her successive uh, daughters. They produce the children throughout time. And that these bodies that are produced are that the spirit children that have put off their previous mortal, uh, their previous resurrection, that they come into these bodies of these little babies and they become the children of Adam and Eve spiritually, well, physically, because they were already spiritually through the law of adoption given to them because of Michael, who became the Adam of this earth, he was a redeemer on an older world. And Jesus Christ will go through this process as well. Jesus Christ becomes our father through the the atonement, through paying for the sins and the transgressions of this world, and we become his children because we take upon ourselves his name. And he accepts us. And we become his children spiritually. And when it talks about Jesus Christ becoming the new Adam, that is literally what will happen. He will become an Adam to a world. When John saw in the book of Revelation the new earth being created... Jesus Christ being called the new Adam is the new Adam of that world. And all those who put off the resurrection and become spirits again when that new world is created, we will become the physical children of Jesus Christ wherein right now most of us are the spiritual children of Jesus Christ. Continuing on, but let's discuss more about God's transition from immortal to mortal. Since resurrected bodies produce only spirit children, then something seen, um, Ogden Krupp believed this, this, uh, this false doctrine about celestial sex, which is not true. Okay then something must occur to enable the creation of a physical mortal body from a resurrected mortal one. First, it is necessary to understand the difference between immortal and mortal bodies. 
both have flesh and both have bones. But mortals have blood and immortals do not. The prophet Joseph Smith said that when our flesh is quickened by the spirit, there will be no more blood in this tabernacle. Teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, page 367. See, that's the blood is replaced by plasma or light. Paul the Apostle was in agreement with this when he said, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50, and that is talking about the resurrection of the dead. What Paul is basically trying to get through the, the minds of the Sadducees of Corinth that there is a resurrection, but that there is more than just one resurrection, that there's a resurrection of um, the different levels of resurrection according to the, the glory of the sun, the moon, and the stars. So anyway, um, and Joseph said, flesh and blood cannot go there, but flesh and bone quickened by the Spirit of God can. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 326. While blood represents mortality, another substance that flows in the veins of immortal beings. Um, sorry. While blood represents mortality, another substance flows in the veins of immortal beings. This was taught by Brigham Young, for he explained that such transformation occurred during the death and resurrection of the Savior Jesus Christ. The blood he spilt upon Mount Calvary did not receive, he did not receive again into his veins. That was poured out. And when he was resurrected, another element took the place of the blood. It will be so with every person who receives a resurrection. The blood will not be resurrected with the body being designed only to sustain the life of the present organization. When that is dissolved and we again obtain our bodies by the power of the resurrection, that which we now call the life of the body and which is formed from the food we eat and the water we drink will be supplanted by another element for flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Journal of Discourses, Volume 7, page 163. And we're on page 165 for those of you who are reading along. We're at 59%. The method of creating blood in a resurrected body so that it could produce mortal children was a mystery until Brigham Young explained. So basically, we're talking about, so Adam and Eve were celestial exalted beings. They came down upon this earth as exalted celestial beings, and they could not produce children until the fall happened. And their blood, what infused their veins, the plasma and the light, that infused their resurrected veins, that as they partook of the fruit of this earth, that 
blood over time was infused within their body and they descended from a celestial exalted resurrection and they became mortal beings again in order to have children. Now, let me just explain a mystery. That once you become an exalted being, you will not die again. And Adam and Eve did not die. That the scripture in our English language, if you go back to the Hebrew, the word used for death in the uh, topic of Adam can also be a translated, uh, can also mean translation to be translated, which is in fact what happened. After the great last sacrament at Adamanandayaman, our father Adam, who had blood in his veins, was taken up like Enoch or like Elisha or even like Moses, and he was translated and became a terrestrial being, not a telestial being who walks upon the earth. Adam and Eve, or Michael and Ashura, remained in a state of terrestrial translation until the day of first fruits after the Passover when Jesus Christ laid down his life willingly for us. He did it for the father as well and for the mother. When Jesus Christ told the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise, they did go to paradise that day. And three days later on the day of first fruits, Jesus is resurrected and he goes to his wife Miriam or Mary. And he says, hold me not, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go unto my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and to your father, speaking of father Adam, who is Michael, and to my God and to your God, speaking of Jehovah, our Elohim, who is our father. Or in other words, our grandfather. And I've talked a lot about in the past about how Jesus Christ and Jehovah are not the same individual. And I'm not going to get too much into that at this time. Anybody can ask me questions if they want um, in the comments of these, these videos or these podcasts. And if I see them, I'll try to answer them. But just know that I've already answered this question many times. You can go back and... Uh, in fact, not very many chapters ago, uh, if you go back in the uh, in the podcast, uh, Zion's Redemption Radio Network or Fundamentally Mormon at blogtalkradio.com, um, you can find an episode entitled Jehovah, and I go into detail of why Jesus and Jehovah are not the same person. It contradicts the former teachings of the Church of Restoration Theology, and it contradicts the book of Ether, and the book of Moses. So Jesus Christ, as a resurrected being, presents himself 
to his father after he presented himself to Miriam or Mary, his wife. And I'm talking about Mary of Magdalena or Mary Magdalene. And he goes to his father, Adam. And because he, Jesus Christ, broke the bands of death, he is able to raise his father, our father, our Adam, up from a terrestrial translation back into a state of exaltation. And now Adam will never become immortal again. That the next Adam is Jesus Christ, and he will have the same thing happen for him, that he will be placed upon an earth, that he will descend from an exalted state to a point where he can be the Adam of that world with his wife, Miriam, or Mary. And they will become the Adam and Eve of that world. And the Redeemer of that world will go on the third day or the day of first fruits, and he will have been have already broken the bands of death and he will bring Jesus Christ who will be in a terrestrial state of translation with his wife Mary who is a hava of that world or an eve of that world and he will bring them back to a state of exaltation and then Jesus Christ will never become immortal again Continuing on, God is the father of all the spirits of all the people of this world. He is the father of the bodies, also of the first inhabitants of the earth, also the father of the body of Jesus Christ. Though he is God and had lived and died and been resurrected on some other planet, and obtained his exaltation and begot the spirits of children enough to people this world, he came down and brought some of the animal and vegetable productions of some other world so that they might grow and increase here. He, by eating of the mortal fruits of the earth, produced mortal children or commenced the increase of men on the earth, which is the bodies for the spirits to live in. Teachings of Brigham Young, compiled by Fred Collier, Volume 3, page 369. Here, then, is one of the great secrets of the eternities and of the gods. Only prophets could understand and explain this mystery. For science may never be able to comprehend it. God becomes the father of his children, both spiritual and temporal. It is reasonable that God would want to act as father to his children throughout both immortality and mortality. He apparently said to his wife that he would make man in our image after our likeness. 
That's in Bereshit or Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. Obviously he did. Bishop Heber Benyon wrote that if a man is not to become the god of his own posterity, what will he become the god of? Supplements to the Gospel Problems, page 9. Orson Pratt also said, Our first parents were not mortal when they were placed on this earth, but they were as immortal as those who are resurrected in the presence of God. Death came into the world by their transgression, and we're on page 166 at 71%. They produced mortality, hence they uh, this will be a complete restoration of which I am speaking. Journal of Discourses, volume 16, page 324. The learned B.H. Roberts, in writing for the Liahona, or the Elders journal, journal stated positively, and by the way, the Liahona back in the day was the Ensign today. So basically it was a church magazine or publication that was circulated among church members. And B.H. Uh, Roberts was, one, was the president of the 70s back in the 1920s, and he wrote in the Liahona this, a spiritual fluid or substance circulated in their veins instead of blood. Consequently, they had not power to beget children with tabernacles of flesh as human beings possess. The fall caused a change in their bodies, speaking of Adam and Eve, which while it rendered them mortal, at the same time gave them power to create mortal bodies of flesh blood and bone for their offspring. This is a very brief explanation of a very important subject. And quote, that was B.H. Roberts in the Liahona publication, which is recorded in volume 6, page 33 of that publication. Brigham Young taught that God once had blood and then was resurrected to immortality without blood. Quote, Man is the offspring of God. Who can fully realize this? Our Heavenly Father ordered all things that pertain to this earth and to multitudes of worlds of which we are ignorant. We are as much the children of this great being as we are the children of our mortal progenitors. We are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone. And the same fluid that circulates in his veins as it does ours. That's Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses, Volume 9, page 283. And let me just remind you, the reason why the Journal of Discourses exists is because a man by the name of George Watt he wrote down all of the talks in his shortman, uh, shorthand, and then he presented it to the editor-in-chief after he had written it out in long form. And Brigham Young approved each of the, the uh, pages of the Journal of Discourses, which was a publication that, that the church sent out to the, the members of the church throughout the world, especially into Europe. So 
the Journal of Discourses that we have today is a compilation of those letters and those those publications that were taken from the general conferences of the church and from the teachings of the leaders of the church. By a man by, by the name of George Watt, who had a special way of shorthand writing, and when he would take the shorthand and he would he would put it out in the long format into English, and then and then Brigham Young approved each letter or each of the talks or teachings as to what was being said and corrected them sometimes. And then they put them in the publications and they sent them out to the church to the to the saints abroad who were not in the the territory of Zion, uh, of Deseret, which we would call the state of Utah. Deseret was also part, um, had encompassed uh, parts of Idaho, Oregon, Nevada, I think Colorado, Arizona, and I think that's it. It was pretty big, right? And Brigham Young was over that whole territory, but these public not everybody could get to Salt Lake for these these meetings, so they would make publications like they did back in Nauvoo or back in Kirtland, and they would send these publications that were church produced to the members of the church who were not with the saints in the where the the majority of the saints were, especially back to Europe. That's how we have the 28, I think, volumes of the Journal of Discourses. And I'm actually sitting here in front of me, my bookshelf. I have, uh, and I talked about this yesterday, I actually have Kevin Kraut's Journal of Discourses because when Ogden died, Kevin inherited Ogden's Journal of Discourses and I received Kevin's Journal of Discourses. So anyway, um, continuing on, understanding the nature of blood is in relation to man's immortality is necessary to comprehend the doctrine that Brigham Young was teaching. The forbidden tree, says Brigham, contained in its fruit the elements of death or the elements of mortality. By eating of it, blood was again infused into the tabernacles of being who had become immortal. The basis of mortal uh, generation is blood. And we're on page 167 at 83% through the reading for today. Without blood, no mortal can be born. Even could mortals have been conceived on earth. The trees of the trees of life had made but the paradise of a few, but mortal world was the object of creation then. And that is from Women of Mormondom, compiled by Toolage, page 199. Mortal food was considered the tree of good and evil, but what would have been the result if he would have again partaken of the tree of life, which is the celestial food of resurrected beings. Quote, And now lest he put forth his hand and partake also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore I, the Lord God, 
or I, Jehovah your Elohim, will send him forth from the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 3, verses 28 and 29 of the Inspired Version. So when I talked yesterday about how, or last time I did the podcast, about how Adam and Eve were sent forth from the Garden of Eden and that they were not able to go back into the Garden of Eden, that they were sent eastward out of Eden to where they went into the lone and dreary wilderness to where they settled and they had their children and they raised their families and eventually at the end of their lives they had the council or the great sacrament meeting at Adam and which was in Independence, Missouri. And that's why I say that the Garden of Eden is not in Independence. That the Garden of Eden was west of where Adam and Eve went to. Now, the particular garden, which was uh, that no man could come back into that garden... I personally believe when Adam was translated that 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 garden was taken up with him or either that or when Enoch, the city of Enoch was taken up, that that it was taken up with the city of Enoch, which Joseph Smith taught that the Gulf of Mexico was the landmass where the city of Enoch was and that whole landmass, which we think is a crater, is actually where the landmass of the city of Enoch was, and it was taken up off the earth. earth. And we also know that there was a city called Salem, which was taken off the earth by Melchizedek as well, just like city of Enoch happened. And I believe personally that the Garden of Eden now resides on that landmass, which was put in a different place in our solar system on another planet. That's what I believe. And that the the Garden of Eden for this earth that no man could step into, I believe it was taken off this earth. But either way, whether that's true or not, the fact of the matter is that no man can step into the Garden of Eden because God has placed cherubim with a flaming sword so that no one could partake of the celestial fruit of the tree of life which is in the garden they tar- they partook of the tree of the fruit of or the the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil which which made them into uh you know brought them back down to a celestial state of being so that they could have children so that they could have children upon this mortal world. Anyway, continuing, we're 87%. If an immortal being eats mortal food, it would be a transgression of the law similar to breaking the word of wisdom. There would be a penalty affixed, and it would require an atonement or a a compensation to uh, to rectify it. This is the work of God's beloved Son to atone for this fall or transgression of that immortal being. 
See, when Jesus says, I do nothing except for what I see the Father do, the Father was a redeemer on an older earth, and Jesus knew it. And Jesus knows that he will become an Adam. That's why he is called the, the new Adam or the second Adam. He will become the first Adam of the next world. God steps down to mortality and the son provides the redemption from that fall. So Jesus Christ left his power and authority, his throne in the heavens and came down upon the earth in mortality. And he said, I do the same thing that the father did. The father left his power and authority in the throne that he has a right to and came down into mortality and descended from a celestial exalted being with his wife Eve. And they became mortal beings in a fall, but the fall is necessary to bring forth mortal life for their spirit children. Continuing on, God's sacrifice was temporarily to temporarily temporarily fall to a lower sphere and condition in order to provide mortality for his children. Jesus Christ's sacrifice was to be crucified in order to provide the redemption, resurrection, and immortality for his brothers and sisters, and let me just also say, for his father and his his mother. And I'm not talking about Mary. I'm talking about Mary too, but I'm talking about Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are our parents. Physically and spiritually, they are our parents. Now, Jehovah, our Elohim, is also our parent. And for those of us who have taken upon the name of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is our parent. Not just our brother. We become his children through the law of adoption. Continuing on with the reading, Edward Tollage explains more about this fall. Quote, the fail or the Fail is simple. The fall is simple. Our immortal parents came down to fall. They came down to transgress the laws of immortality. They came down to give birth to mortal tabernacles or mortal bodies for a world of spirits. Eve then came down to be the mother of a world. So you know how... We used to believe in the church that everybody gets their own planet. Now, they've backed away from that in recent years because these leaders do not understand the truth. And they have been going away from the, the, the truth of the restoration, which was so very um, dense and nutritious in the beginning of this, this, uh, of this dispensation. And over time, they have... They've carved off a little bit here and a little bit there, and they continue to do so until they get to the point where they don't understand the old teachings, and the old teachings are the truth. 
that we do have the ability to become a father and a mother of a world. Now, they've recently, they're backing away from that because they do not understand that because they, I'm sorry, Spencer, like I've already shown, Spencer W. Kimball couldn't understand the things which are clearly written in church history and presented by people like Brigham Young, Heber C. Kimball, John Taylor, Joseph Smith, all of these people. They all talked about these things. And now the leaders of the church don't know anything about it today. But this is how we become exalted beings and this is how we inherit a world for ourselves. But there is a progression of the gods that we must each go through. Men must go through a certain progression. Women must go through a certain progression. And it does not happen in one lifetime. You go from eternal lives to eternal lives, from exaltations to exaltations. You gain higher states of resurrection according to the experiences that you go through on different mortal probations, on different earths, under different redeemers and different fathers in a successive chain in the progression of the gods until you find yourself in the place where Jesus was eventually and Miriam was, and you find yourself in the place where Ashura becomes Hava or Eve and Michael becomes an Adam. And you inherit a world to produce bodies for your spiritual children to be upon that world. And you are the father and the mother of that world. And that doctrine is true. And when you have progressed beyond that state of being, you will become Elohim. And you will join with the exalted ones or the mighty ones as gods and goddesses, kings and queens, priests and priestesses in the highest order. In the scriptures, it talks about when we go to the celestial kingdom that we will be given a white stone wherein we can see orders higher than the celestial kingdom. Orders which are a mystery to us at this time. Eternal progression does not end with exaltation. That it goes on. Eve then came down to be the mother of a world, glorious mother, capable of dying at the very beginning to give life to our offspring, that through mortality, the eternal life of the gods might be given her sons and daughters. And that's Women of Mormondom, page 197 and 198, and we're on page 168 and 96%. So we're almost done. The work and wonder of the of the gods or the Elohim, which in the in the Hebrew tongue 
is a plurality of gods, but it also means mighty ones or exalted ones. So I'm just going to say it like this. The work and the wonder of the exalted ones is creating. They organized worlds and propagate children for them. They build a garden paradise on the, on the world by bringing plants and animals to it. Then they begin the work of providing mortal bodies for those spirit children by bringing to pass the immortality and the eternal life of man. The gods themselves become more exalted and their kingdoms grow in size and glory. And that's the end of the reading for this chapter. But I do want to say this. The work and glory of God, the eternal father and the Elohim is to bring to pass the immortality and the eternal lives of their children and to fill the universe with organized creation. And that work is ongoing and eternal. So when we come back for the next chapter, we'll be on page 169, chapter 18, and we're going to talk about Adam, which is many. So until next time, thank you for listening to me read these things and talk about these things. Um, thank you for um, pondering these things and taking it to God if you so choose and getting a witness for yourself that these things are true. As I testify that they are, and I do so in the name of Messiah. Amen.